a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. BYU falls to Notre Dame 28-20 here at Allegiant Stadium. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte for KSL Sports and KSL News Radio. Matt, this is a missed opportunity for BYU. The slow start was disastrous for the Cougars once again. Hey, credit to BYU for getting back in the game because it looked ugly at the half, but not enough. Uh, Michael Mayer for Notre Dame was incredible, and BYU now 4-2 on the season. I don't know what to make of this game. At halftime, Mitch, we we cut up for a minute, and it just felt like this was one of the worst performances that BYU's had under Kalani Satake. The offense wasn't clicking. The defense wasn't making plays, and, and... it's hard to criticize the defense, if we're being honest, because Notre Dame was on the field for 41 minutes. That is a long time, and they hold Notre Dame to 28 points. They were great in the red zone, but, uh, you know, it is a big missed opportunity because as bad as they played, and Jaron Hall just spoke to the media and said this, as bad as we played, we felt like we were going to win the game at the end. And they have the football on Notre Dame's side of the field, Let's talk about those two interesting play calls, third and two, fourth and one, Chris Brooks, Lopini Katoa. How did you feel about those in the moment? I thought that they should have gone with Chris Brooks. Uh, I just feel like Chris Brooks is a bigger back. Uh, that's, you know, 6'2", 235. That, those are, that's why you signed him out of the portal. If you had the belief in Lopini Katoa in the offseason, in that moment, why bother signing Chris Brooks? You don't need – like you signed Chris Brooks for those moments. That, that's what – and also maybe Houston Haymooley. Uh, Mason Wake. I mean, it's easy to go back in retrospect, but I just feel like body type-wise, Lopini Coteau was not that type of running back up the middle. He's a guy out the edge. No. He's more of a receiver back. Chris Brooks should have been used in that spot, I thought, but um, it, and I just think it, it cost BYU in that moment. Absolutely. I, I thought that there was a handful of play calls that I think Aaron Roderick's going to want to have back. I don't think that was his best performance as a play caller. And my thought in the moment, Mitch, at fourth and one was, you have Jaron Hall. Whether he's banged up or not, and he just told us he's not. He's he's he feels great. He says he's 100. percent Now, granted, he did say last year after the Arizona State game, I'm fine, and he was dealing with cracked ribs. <laughs> Good point. How, but still, but in his words, he did say he's okay. Yeah, uh, I thought if there's ever a moment to put the ball in the hands of your quarterback, RPO, maybe there's a quick dump off. You know, and I also thought quarterback keeper bring in Mason Wake, Isaac Rex, and have an extra blocker. And he's I don't know. There's a lot of ways you could have went. But I don't think I would have done what they did, which was Lopini Katoa up the middle. 
and it's no knock on Lapini because I thought no. Lapini had a great game, Mitch. I th- that third and 17 conversion he had was awesome. I thought the BYU oh, running game was the best it's been maybe all year. It was really effective. But in that particular moment, put the ball in your playmaker's hands, and they didn't do so, and they never got the ball again. It's, it's a difficult loss. It's a missed opportunity because – the momentum was building for BYU, oh, yeah. and you could sense it in this venue. I mean, credit to BYU fans. Uh, you know, this was a Notre Dame home game. This was all about the Irish, the signage. I mean, you could see it behind us. This was all about Notre Dame. And BYU fans still showed up in big numbers. I'm sure they bought a ton of tickets on the secondary market, and they were loud. I mean, when, they came, when BYU came out of this tunnel behind us, or right behind this camera shot, it was deafening in here. I'm telling you, I thought, wow, BYU fans showed up loud and proud. And so credit to Cougar Nation uh, for showing up well. I think Notre Dame fans were pretty impressed with how loud and proud BYU fans were. But this was the night for the Irish and Michael Mayer, man. Oh, I had flashbacks goodness. to 2005 Jeff Samarja when he was getting <laughs> yeah. jump balls against BYU and J-Rob. That's what I was having flashbacks of. He was incredible. First tight end this year in college football to have more than 10 catches in a single game. BYU had no answer for him, and he looked even more incredible when he's wide open. It's, and it's inexplicable that they didn't have an answer. That yeah. was their really only threat in the passing game, and they couldn't stop him. And it, it just felt like after that first series where it was like four catches on the first drive, you got to double-team this guy. you got to bracket him. you got to do something. The execution was not good enough. And look, again, I think the defense played a great game. I think it was the best performance of the year, even in a loss. The two nitpicks are, why didn't they take Mayer out of the game earlier? And then secondly, what happened on second and 17? It's the first penalty of the game on Notre Dame. You're second and 17, and you know they're going to run because Notre Dame was not going to be aggressive up eight. BYU had to score a TD and a two-pointer, and even then, it's only going to overtime at a home game. It just doesn't make sense that you can't put nine dudes in the box and force a punt, Mitch. Yeah, it was missed opportunities. And, you know, BYU left to go to the drawing board. And, yeah, I thought Drew Pine, credit to him, too. He was really good. Yeah, he He had a stretch there where he had 13 consecutive completions. BYU had no answer. I mean, and most of those were to Michael Mayer and uh, quite the performance from them. I, I will say this, though. I think what's difficult about this loss is that I don't feel like Notre Dame, I don't come out of this game thinking they're a top 25 team. No. I don't think like they were anything incredible. I think even Irish fans probably leave this game and think, what are they doing blowing that lead? It was kind of, they were getting a little bit nervous because remember, they lost a Fiesta Bowl in Marcus Freeman's first game last year to Oklahoma State where they blew a big lead. So I think people were getting a little bit nervous in the Irish faithful. Uh, but I, I mean, that, that's what makes it frustrating. This is a chance to beat a signature brand a program in Notre Dame that just has so much history. and It would have given BYU a great win, and it would have given them a lot of momentum going into a game against Arkansas, where Arkansas is down and out right now. They're 3-3. Yeah. Three and three. There's questions about their quarterback. He was out today. So just a missed opportunity for BYU because you've, you've hit on it quite a bit that there was still a chance of the New Year's Six, and it was because there's only one loss. Now that there's two losses, oh, that's out the door yeah, now. Special season is over. Mm-hmm. They can still have a good season. Ten and yep. two would be a very good season. It's not special because uh, they're not going to be able to cap it off with a, a signature bowl game and a great opponent. Yep. That's done, and it's, uh, it's very frustrating that even as bad as they played in the first half, they were down 25-6, Mitch. They had a chance at the, what, the 25-yard line-ish? Two plays to get two yards, can't get it done, and Jaron Hall does not have the ball on either of those two plays. That one's going to sting for me for quite a while. Jaron, too, going back to him, that first play... 
you know, and I think what amplified the questions about him was because again, last week against Utah State, he takes a big hit. He's rotating the arm. He look, looks visibly frustrated, or not frustrated, but uh, affected by the by the hit he took. And then Aaron Roderick spoke to us this week on uh, Cougar Sports Saturday on KSL News Radio Extended Pregame. He mentioned that that was one of the hardest hits Jaron has taken in his BYU career. And then you see the first pass. And Jaron is a man who is incredibly efficient. Uh, the completion rate was at 70%. Hadn't thrown an interception in four games. And then the first one felt like a little bit like a duck. And it was like just lobbed up. His and first it, three or four passes were off. You just felt like there was no juice in that arm. You're thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> what's wrong with Jaron? And credit to him for still navigating that adversity. Because also in the pregame, too, he was close next to Dr. Skyler Maine, the sports performance doctor who just got hired this year, the trainers were right next to him. He didn't throw any passes in the first phase, as you no, saw, in warm-ups. No. And then the second phase, the trainers were right next to him. He was throwing passes to them at first for about mm, five to eight minutes, and then he started throwing the receiver. So it was kind of just a, a different workflow than he's typically used to in warm-ups. So, again, I know what Jaron said, and, look, he knows his body better than anyone. Uh, but uh, it, it, it just didn't look like vintage Jaron Hall. We've grown so yep. accustomed to that guy being outstanding. Yep. And when he's anything less than that, it's like, what's wrong? And I think the, the injury kind of He was pretty dang good in the second half. He though. was. I think uh, he made some very good throws. His two throws to Epps, one being the 53-yard touchdown, was a beautiful throw. And then also on the final drive, there was a nice pass to Epps that got them onto the Notre Dame side of the field. So I think he showed well in the second half. And Cody Epps, I think, has become... Uh, a real weapon. He's a guy that you can't take off the field. And that's good for BRU because Gunnar Romney goes down again. Uh, no word on what that injury was, but he did not play after making that big third down conversion. So, uh, man, it's just there were some bright spots. I thought the defense uh, defensive line showed pretty well. Uh, they, they, they made enough plays to win. The defense made enough plays to win. You cannot pin this on the defense. But, again, I think the, uh, the overall theme of the night was just a missed opportunity against Notre Dame team that, like you said, is nothing special. Yeah, and third down defense, too, was an yep. issue again. I yep. mean, again, going back to Michael Mayer, that was that was a big issue for those problems. And and BYU now has to move forward from this. Uh, they're 4-2 and two on the year, and their last two games against Power 5 teams haven't been pretty. And uh, that's where I think there's a little bit of frustration. It's one thing to lose. But it's another thing when you just don't come anywhere close to putting your best product on the field. Right. We've seen this BYU team when they're at their best. We've seen them, um, you know, in fall camp where they looked outstanding. And then you see all the experience and you're just going, why is it not translating into these games? And then you add in the first half the personnel issues. Kalani was hitting on that hard uh, in the post game because he was asked a bunch of questions about it. But he took the blame and said it was on the coaching uh, but to have 12 players on the field, 10 players on the they field. They burned two timeouts right. in the first four minutes of the game. And you're, that is inexcusable. For an experienced team that's been in this venue, that's and the ranked team. And through the year, Mitch. You, you can't do that. that. That is inexcusable for this BYU team. And, and Kalani pretty much owned that. And he said it was on the coaching. And it felt like in that first half the entire team just felt chaotic. Like It yeah. felt like it was too much for them, and they just never could get their feet under them. I mean, 48 yards uh, through the first half. It felt like LSU again in 2017. They had 11 passing yards at the half. It, it was, I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, <laughs> no way. I mean, I'm more likely to win big at the, at the blackjack table <laughs> than BYU's going to only end up with 48 yards and a half. Are you kidding me? There was yeah. no way. So, uh, again, missed opportunity. Uh, you know, BYU, I think the goal now becomes 
rally together and try to get to 10 wins. Get Maintain that double-digit win streak yep. for a third consecutive year. Does that inspire guys enough, though? I mean, th- that's that's the real challenge. I mean, and I think that's one of the, the difficult things about independence and why I think a lot of people are ready to move on from this era. I know Notre Dame fans love independence because of these unique settings, but that's why Cougar fans, I think, are ready to move on from it because yeah. now you wonder, are, is that going to motivate guys enough? I mean, you got an SEC team coming next week. That should be a motivation, but this is a team that, uh, you know, there's real questions, and, and they got to find some answers real soon. All right, he's Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte. Uh, here's our recap on KSLSports.com. Bummer for BYU. Next week, Arkansas will have that coverage here on KSLSports.com. Okay. Awesome. Nice. I think that was our best one. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.